intricacy to that. There's a little bit of nuance, some gray space, and that gray space lives both in the air as well as on the ground. We do envision a future where these drones are moving in a in a well-planned, in a common way, in something that's predictable, both from the operational planners as well as those people who regulate and, and care about safety and privacy and those type of things. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today I'm talking to Daniel Bradshaw from a company called Airspace Link and these guys are developing a platform that lets communities update drone flight paths in real time. So this is a really interesting idea. It's basically creating highways in the sky that communities can, can control. I really hope you enjoy the interview. Hello, Daniel. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I think what you're doing with, with drones and the platform you're building is really, really interesting. But before we dive into all that, could you maybe take a moment just to give us a bit of background about yourself and how you got into your work with, with drones? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me today. And likewise, great name, Daniel. So one from one Daniel to another, hello. You know, I've been a geothinker and a geospatial problem solver for uh, upwards to 20 years now. Um, my first work out of college was actually with state and local government. And uh, over the past, oh, I don't know, well, 20 years of my career, I suppose, it's been either directly in state and local government or consulting with state and local government. So definitely a, a large background there. But over the last eight years or so, I've been working as uh, an engineer and a consultant in retail solutions. And I've also spent a couple of years working in the, the United States federal contracting space as well. So kind of a, a broad background of both commercial as, as well as governmental um, geospatial engineering, if you will. Yeah, it sounds like you've moved around a little bit there, but all sort of broadly based around around geospatial. So, so that's good. You fit right in here with, with this audience. Yeah, absolutely. But what I wanted to talk to you today about was the company that you work for, and it's called Airspace Link. This is just a broad overview, but as I understand it, you're building a web platform that's going to sort of help regulate the movements of drones or provide almost, almost like a, a set of traffic rules for, for, for drones as they move around. Can, can you say a few more words about that? Yeah, as we view the market, we see a lot of the companies and organizations working from the top down to solve the drone delivery or just, or just beyond visual line of sight drone delivery or drone activity in general problem. But we really view it as the reverse. We're viewing this as a bottom-up problem, meaning state and local governments, communities, those are the people that have the best data on the ground, the most real-world data. So we wanted to provide a platform that allowed these organizations, these communities, the people who know what's going on at any given time, any given day, have the most real-time data, a, a platform to stand on to dynamically update some of the areas that might have some sort of additional consideration when it comes to drone activity. And so we're we're trying to tackle this both from a real-time and a, and a dynamic map update perspective, as well as a statistical, static, analytical approach as well, so that we can combine the two to provide the best overall the best overall view of what's happening on the ground at any given time so that the FAA can be assured of drone activity is safe as well as these 
communities and governments, local governments can know that these that drone activity is safe as well. So just to clarify for our listeners, I think what we're talking about here is almost like a set of traffic rules that we can use in the sky in the same way that our roads and our streets, you know, they have sharp edges that we know where they start and stop. We're talking about building these same sort of rules for drones in the sky so, so we know where they are, so we can regulate their movement a little bit. Am I on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, our tagline that we like to we like to pitch folks with is providing highways in the skies for safer drone operations. So it's certainly the best analogous that we can come to because a drone, in reality, if we're thinking about package delivery is moving from point A to point B. And the shortest route is to just fly from point A to point B. It's going to be a straight line. But we know that there's a lot of intricacy to that. There's a little bit of nuance, some gray space. And that gray space lives both in the air as well as on the ground. We do envision a future where these drones are moving in a, in a well-planned, in a common way, in something that's predictable, both from the operational planners as well as those people who regulate and, and care about safety and privacy and those type of things. So I, before we carry on, I just want to say, I think it's really interesting um, when, when you said earlier about a lot of people are thinking about the drone problem, solving this drone problem. How are we going to deliver packages? Because it, it feels anyway like we we already understand that this is going to be part of a future, the future. It's just a question of when it arrives and, and what use cases it's applied to. So it feels like we've accepted that. So and, and everyone seems to be building the biggest, the best, the fastest drone. But you guys really have a bottom bottom-up approach, you're starting, well, we need some sort of system. We need to organize this. We need to regulate this in some way. And, and it's the, the first company I've ever heard doing that and approaching it like this. But it, it makes perfect sense that these these drones are going to need some rules to operate in the sky. Yeah, that's right. And when we think about traffic management, we know that as a car is driving down the road, when it gets to this point, it turns right. We know that you can't drive against a one-way street and those type of things. So our federal entities, speaking strictly from the United States perspective, the FAA is interested in in providing safe commercial flights. But as we move into the beyond visual line of sight aspect, they want to ensure that those same set of rules and, and safety regulations are adhered to in the air. But there's kind of this disconnect between federal entities and state and local entities. And we really want to make sure that we can broker that relationship between state and local governments and federal government, as well as the relationship between state and local government uh, and commercial drone service providers, whether that's package delivery or or other activity inspections and those type of things. So we, we absolutely want to make sure that uh, the regulations that are put in place are beneficial for all and safe for all. And uh, that's our primary objective at Airspace Link. So before we dive into how you make those regulations, how you make those rules, and I guess what we're actually talking about is how you make these dynamic 3D geofences, which are going to um, you know, regulate and route drones around the place and change throughout time, of course. I think it's really important to note that you're also talking about communication between a lot of different parties there. So it's one thing to, to have made these assessments, say you cannot fly here during this time because of whatever, but it's okay to go this way. It's really important to communicate that that out to everyone. And we're talking about a lot of different stakeholders in this kind of relationship, I'm imagining. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, in fact, the, the FAA 
as a whole is is working towards this goal. They have a, a program known as LANCE, which stands for Low Altitude Authorization and Notification Capability. And historically, authorizations to fly drones or really any sort of aircraft in the air had to go through some sort of approval process. And those approvals could take historically up to 90 days. And the FAA recognized that this really put a hamper on drone innovation, just really innovation overall in this space. And so they've been working towards building a platform that allowed operators to notify the FAA and then receive an approval back within, let's say, 20 seconds. That's the, the benchmark that I've heard is actually 16 seconds. So definitely a, a, a large step from that 90-day uh, window. And so these types of tools and APIs are being put in place at the federal level. And so state and local governments just now need to step up and uh, provide those same types of tools and, and APIs so that these these companies who want to innovate in this space don't uh, feel like they're stepping on any toes, but at the same time, they're also following the appropriate procedures and regulations. And so Airspace Link wants to fill that gap for state and local governments because in a lot of ways, you know, these communities don't necessarily have the 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 talent or the capability to administer and uh, manage these type of systems. So that's where that's where we're stepping in to fill that gap. Okay, so if I just try and, and um, describe a use case the, the way I see it. Okay, on, on one side we have a party that wants to fly a drone, deliver a package. Let's say it's someone who's brought something on a, an e-commerce website and wants to have it delivered. That said, I realize there are a thousand other uses use cases for this kind of thing. But let, let's keep it simple for now. Okay, so I've brought my package from a company. Now it's up to them to deliver it. So they, the flying the drone, they would shoot a message over to the, the state maybe, ask their system, your system, hey, can I have, a, what's the best route for me to fly from point A to point B? You would reply with an API. You would reply back with, with some waypoints, I'm assuming, and the drone would fly over there, drop off the package and fly back. That's the kind of thing we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, with the addition of one additional uh, step. And uh, so I'll just uh, kind of reiterate your state. That company wants to deliver a package. And so they they plan an operation and that operation needs to be approved both really ultimately at the federal level. And so our objective is, is to take that state and local government data, wrap a, an API around it, do some analysis on it, and then take some some real-time considerations into into play as well provide that set of waypoints back to the API, or excuse me, via API, and then allow that user to approve that route, at which point it's submitted to the FAA for final approval. Because ultimately, they're the ones that hold the authority to to approve this flight. And so once that is then uh, approved at the federal level, then that is safe to fly. And uh, that operation takes place depending on the, the time window that it was scheduled for. Okay, so I think we understand now that we, we have a system that lets us communicate all, all these different um, points of data out to these different different stakeholders. Now, I, but I think the interesting thing for, for the audience listening to this podcast is who decides how these things, how these drones are going to be routed around a neighborhood, through a city, for example. Uh, they're based on a certain set of rules. What, what kind of areas, uh, or ha- who's making these rules? Who's deciding where, where the no-fly and fly zones are? 
Right, absolutely. And, you know, to be frank, that's absolutely a moving target, but uh, we're putting some stakes in the ground and, and really trying to, to push the issue forward. And I think as a whole, as we learn and pivot, uh, the community will pivot together. But um, so I, I think that's a, a joint relationship ultimately between, they're the ones that that care about how these drones are flying in their communities. The FAA cares about how these drones are flying in the air. And so, uh, again, as a as a relationship broker, so to speak, we want to make sure that all parties are satisfied with with the approach that's taken, and we do that by creating a set of analysis on that static on the ground data, and then layering in some real time data. So, I guess I would best answer that question by saying, ultimately, that data is driven from state and local government data, and so. They're the ones that who are who are deciding how these drones are flying within their communities. Could you give me an idea of, of what kind of data might be used in, in this analysis? Because I'm assuming what we're doing here is we're making a, a risk analysis. We're looking at different areas, different neighborhoods and saying, okay, it's okay to fly over there at this time, not okay to fly over there at any time because – you know who knows why? Because uh, you know because the risk of the the drone falling out of the sky is too great. So we don't want to do that. In the same way that that we have, you know, roads. Cars can't just drive around through public parks because that's it's too risky. We've decided cars should be on the roads. So could you give me an idea of what kind of data, what kind of rules, what kind of areas might might sort of be considered risky or or safe? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll answer that question by giving an, a, a recent example. So there's a, a recent town. Um, the town of Tiburon. I'm not sure what state that's in, but uh, this town has opted to adopt an ordinance that says <clears throat> any of the schools, there are three public schools in this particular town, that no drones are allowed to fly within 400 feet of the public schools during school hours. And so those school hours have to be defined. And again, you know, how, how is it that these drone these drone logistic companies know, know and understand this. They need they need some sort of platform to to know and understand this. But it's not just schools. It's things such as as hospitals. Hospitals have a very active uh, airspace. They have helicopters landing and taking off all the time. There are other helipads within a city. Um, news news locations, for example, have helipads. Um, but there's there's also just population as a whole. Where are your dense populations? Where are your light populations, what other type of critical facilities on the ground, such as jails and those type of things? Or are there some sort of rules and regulations that guides the the right-of-way that's on the ground? I, I know that there's a, an organization in, in Michigan in, in the United States that uh, states that no drone can fly over the right-of-way of major highways and those type of things. So there's all these different dynamics. And I, and I, I believe that every community is a little bit different. Some communities will have kind of a, a baseline of just basic rules and regulations, and other complex communities will have very complex rules and regulations. So taking all those into account play a large role in, in ultimately making that decision on how that route is, is um, generated and ultimately flown. Could you imagine in the future that a, a government body stepping in and saying, 
maybe at the state level, maybe at the at, at the the country level, saying, "Hey, these are the rules. You know, if you're in Utah, you do this. This is considered safe. This is considered too risky to fly over during these certain times." And just having like a standard set of rules, just like we do in terms of of, of road traffic. Absolutely. Uh, I think there's going to be some definitely basic guidelines happening at at all levels of government. Uh, from the FAA, they'll establish a, a set of basic guidelines, but I don't think they have enough information for what's happening on the ground at any given day or any given time um, to make make that call at a at a very micro or, or local level. Um, states states are somewhere in the middle, and and I I believe that ultimately the FAA is looking to the states to make some of those um, some of those guidelines that will determine the, how the regulation flows down from the state level into local communities. So while that regulation does exist, I believe, and, and will be established at, at all levels of government, I, it's going to be that local government that I think has the final final say on what can and can't happen. And I, and I would add just to this point, consider ordinances. And ordinances are passed at, at a local government level all the time. Noise ordinances or hours of operation ordinances or operating this type of machinery within a proximity. You know, there's all kinds of variety and types of ordinances. And so those ultimately, I think, will drive how drones play a part in each unique community. Yeah, I, I guess um, for, for me, it's really helpful to think about the way traffic moves around now and the rules we have around that. But at the same time, when you're flying in the sky, that there's no physical barriers, right? You can just fly wherever. So if you're talking about taking the quickest route, that might not be acceptable, flying over a neighborhood. But it's that understanding that you know we wouldn't like it either if cars could go anywhere. If everyone had a four-wheel drive truck and they just drove everywhere, that, that would be, that would be difficult for, for people to deal with. But I guess that this is this is kind of the reality that we're talking about in the sky above us. Yeah, and uh, you know, we uh, part of our system we create what we call risk islands, and these risk islands are are basically more or less hypothetical barriers. I, I mean, there's no barriers in the sky, but these risk areas is, exist on the ground, and so they're projected up, if you will. Um, basically from the ground to infinity. And so our objective is to direct these drones around these barriers so that not only are they not flying over them on the ground, but likewise, they're not flying over them in the air. And these these barriers also exist at each level of government. Um, the FAA, as part of the land system that I discussed earlier, has already defined geographic boundaries known as UAS-FM grids. And these grids... As they get closer to an airport, they get closer and closer to the ground, meaning that you can fly from, for example, zero to 400 feet in uncontrolled airspace. But as you get closer and closer to that airport, those grids push you further and further down, closer to the ground. And um, so, again, there's no physical barriers there, but but drone operators need to understand these barriers. And, and there are rules to help govern this. And, and it's a requirement for drone operators to understand these things. Our system will play nicely, not only with that local data, but also understand 
what's happening at the federal level with these USF, UAS FM grids and be able to take all of those points of interest into consideration. I think I think it's probably important to mention at least here when you say that the drone operators will need to understand them. Probably what you're thinking about there is that the drones themselves will need to understand them because we're talking about we don't have line of sight. You can't see the drone here. We're talking about drones operating autonomously. It's true. That is the end goal of uh, both Airspace Link. We're working towards that objective, and 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 really the the drone community as a whole, as as hardware manufacturers come on board with very complex sensors and, and understanding how these drones are flying. But uh, uh, in terms of talking about reality today, there there are no beyond visual line of sights without particular waivers, and there are regulations, um, at least in the United States, that governs this. And I'll mention those briefly. Those are, there's what's known as Part 107 rules, which basically states that a drone has to be less than 55 pounds and only visual line of sight. They can't fly at night, can't fly over people. They, They may use a visual observer if it flies out of sight of the pilot. Someone can be down the line keeping an eye on things as well. As well as at the recreational level, there's um, you have to register your drone and you have to pass a test. So there are things in place today, even um, even before the drone takes off and has to kind of make some of its own decisions, that these pilots have to be aware of and be registered for and uh, be cognizant of before uh, legally they're allowed to fly. When I think about um, autonomous vehicles on the road, for example, I think about vehicles in the future which are going to have highly detailed maps that are constantly being updated and a whole bunch of sensors so that, and programming that allows them to make decisions by themselves. Could you imagine a future where, where drones are doing the same thing? Obviously, they're going to need maps too. They're going to need some sort of basic understanding about the world. And I, and I think that's probably what we're getting at when we're talking about risk islands and um, those 3D geofences, you know, so it has this basic understanding of the world, but then still maybe being able to make decisions as it moves around, taking input from these sensors. I I realize that's kind of a a leap from what we've been talking about, but is this where we're headed? Absolutely. I I believe that uh, drones are actually quite sophisticated today. Um, You know, even your off-the-shelf commercial or off-the-shelf personal drone has a complex set oftentimes of front of front of drone sensors side sensors back sensors bottom sensors basically this drone can more or less keep itself from crashing into anything and at any time if that drone loses connection with its operator it knows how to basically extend up to a preset amount fly across avoid any trees that are in the way for example and then come back down in a in a nice safe and controlled manner so those tools exist and uh there there are companies and uh and other organizations who are have interest in this space that are conducting experiments on how many drones can you shove into a tube for example it's a hypothetical tube but uh you know consider if you have 50 drones trying to fly through the same space how much area around each of those drones realistically need to exist before they start crashing into each other and falling out of the sky? And, and these simulations are being are being run now, and so people are thinking about this problem, and uh, and it's becoming a, a very sophisticated um, set of hardware that's that's taking off and making these making these operations happen. And and I would say also that. 
with the advent of 5G, uh, it's a very fortuitous time for the drone ecosystem as well because these these 5G uh, cards are being placed inside of the drones and so they can have a very high bandwidth, low latency communication with ground controls. And so it's it's a good time for all of these pieces of hardware and systems to come together uh, at the same time to really make this a reality. Yeah, I've heard a lot of um, Internet of Things companies that are really excited about 5G because you, you, you don't have that latency anymore. You know what I mean? So, so then, then we start to move into a world where things are happening in real time. Yeah, and if we consider the, the real use case for drones maybe is more of a, a rural aspect. If, for example, logistically, a delivery company is trying to get a, a package from maybe, maybe a moving home base, a, a truck itself has a drone taking off. And so there's, they're flying in, in rural areas or hard to get to from, from the ground. There's definitely some challenge there from 5G uh, as, as it gains acceptance and, and exposure across all of these developing nations with this technology, but um, certainly it has high applicability in terms of you know these these high density areas that uh, really need a strong communication with ground control systems. I want to sort of carry on with that just for a second and and talk a little bit more about what what's going to happen in the future and, and where we're going with this. Up until now, we're, we've talked about uh, package delivery. And immediately in my mind, I think Amazon. I buy something from Amazon and it gets flown out to me in a drone. But can you think of any more use cases for, for this kind of technology? Yeah, I think the, the primary one that I've seen up to this point is uh, utility utility companies. And um, there's, there's a very large and complex set of activity happening every day for utility companies in as far as inspections. And those inspections can happen both, for example, uh, a gas pipeline. Um, these companies employ pilots and have planes and are spending hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars e- even uh, to operate these planes to fly on a daily basis to make observations on the ground. And with the, with the uh, growing ad or the growing uh, capabilities of machine learning and uh, computer vision, a lot of these decisions can be made by computer systems and be flagged for human review. And so I think as as the type of processors and the t- type of battery that's required to run these things can be built more and more into the drones, or as these drones stream that data back to, to these platforms for analysis, they can flag these things um, and, and really reduce the the overhead cost burden as well as perhaps even um, you know just environmental factors in terms of just burning fossil fuels uh, there's there's some ground to be made there so to come back to your question utility companies railroad companies uh, really anything that requires inspection on a regular basis is is very interested in the the continued progression of the drone industry I think um, the craziest use case I've seen for drones to date is a, a film that was taken in China where a drone flew up to maybe the 20th story and put out a fire. And it was absolutely incredible. Now, I don't pretend to, uh, to, I don't claim to know exactly how it did it, but it had some kind of fire extinguisher attached to it. It flew up there, the flames were coming out of the window. It fired off its fire extinguisher through the window and for all intents and purposes, it looked like it extinguished the fire on a 20-story building. It was amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly in the public safety sector, drones are being utilized today. And uh, there are many companies coming up with all kinds of, as you say, very interesting ways to apply drones, um, both from um, policing as well as fire safety, uh, forest fire safety, all types of different things. Uh, these drones are playing an important role with these communities. And it's uh, it, it's really a great boon economically to them as well, because instead of investing millions of dollars into a helicopter, for example, to make some sort of operation happen, they can invest a few thousand dollars in a very high-end drone and achieve the same results with the uh, with success and, and often better results just because that drone is much more um, diverse in where it can fly and uh, its size and then those type of things. I can see that, that we're starting to run out of time here, but before I let you go, I've got a couple more questions. And uh, the first one is we, we've talked a lot about the, the technicalities around these things now. We've talked a lot about the regulation, the systems we're going to use to control that um that information stream between the the associated stakeholders. We've talked about what needs to be in place, but what we haven't talked about is how people are reacting to this. Do you have being in the industry the way you are? Do you have any sort of sense of if people are ready for this, if they want it? I can see why commercial why it might there might be a huge push from from industry and people that have commercial interests in this. But but what about everyday people? Do you have any sort of sense if they're if they're ready if they want this? Well, that's a great question. And I think if you did an informal poll on the street, you would find in, in almost all cases, you'll have a very, you'll probably see three different areas. You'll have a, an absolutely yes, that sounds great. You know, I'd love to have that drone drop a package down on my doorstep. Uh, you'll have the people that are absolutely no. Um, you know, if I see a drone, I, I carry a shotgun with me and I'm going to shoot it out of the sky. And then you'll find that middle ground where it's just like, well, you know, I don't love the idea, but uh, I can understand that this is a, a reality and I, I kind of need to wrap my head around it. And so they kind of waffle on that decision. And, um, you know, I, th- I think that's probably the sentiment uh, that you'll find in any community. And so, um, you know, I think a, a lot of the steps that uh, we're taking is to help mitigate that and maybe also democratize it a little bit. And I'll give you an example. One of the one of the tools that Airspace Link provides is called Air Registry, and Air Registry is intended to be a a community voice platform, so that I can I can come in, I can register my address, and I can say I I opt in, I support this idea, or I completely opt out. And it's it's really one of those tools that we can provide to communities to say. Hey, this is this is the overall sentiment in your community, and here's a a, a region of very active and, and excuse me, very um um f- or folks who are are not interested. So there's a cluster, and maybe we we can look at ways at eliminating or or uh, reducing the number of uh, drone flights that are flying over this particular area, and uh, or maybe there's a, a an area of um, high popularity, and so it's like, well, these are these are corridors that we can fly through because the people are accepting of it, and they utilize the service themselves. So, um, I, I think when we look at it, though, we kind of treat it as maybe you'd view the 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 revolution from the horse to the automobile, and I think there was probably a lot of uh, chagrin by those 
you know, those old cowboys who are trying to get their horses down Main Street and these loud cars were popping and banging and rolling and uh, driving too close to their horses. But we know that as technology got better and, uh, you know, the the efficiencies gained were viewed, um, then it became an accepted uh, part of everyday use. And I, I, I think that's probably the trend we'll see with with drone activity as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm sure that's the that's the way it's going to be, and I'm also sure that this is this is not an isolated case. When we talk about those people, some you know, I just can't wait to get there, and other people are ah, I don't know if I want this yet. I'm sure that's pretty much the case with with, <clears throat> with any kind of new technology when it first comes out, because we're not sure what it's going to look like. We've been tricked before, maybe, and yeah, we, before we before we put our cross anywhere, we we want to be sure. So it's just going to take people a while to get used to it. I would imagine. Okay, so my last question for you, Daniel, before you disappear, is this is a little bit of a tricky question. So, when you think of drones being a part of the urban landscape, you know, as a a day-to-day part of the urban landscape, what are we talking here? Are we talking five years, ten years, fifteen years time? We're certainly within a decade. If I were to be a betting man, I would certainly put my uh, my money on a a limited but regular um, activity in the airspace within five years. So, for example, drones are doing are doing a lot of just everyday work that perhaps either vehicles or or maybe some sort of piloted air vehicles are doing today. And I think within that ten year window is when we're going to see complete mass adoption, as well as um, complete automated beyond visual line of sight drone activity. So, um, you know, we're, we're well on our way. I, I think that, uh, I think it'll be here as part of our daily lives. We'll see drones flying in the air within the next five years, uh, absolutely on a regular basis. I look forward to it. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming along today and, and telling us a little bit more about what's happening in the space, what we can look forward to and, and uh, your company. I really appreciate that. But before we say goodbye, where can we go to, to follow along and, and learn more about your, your work? Absolutely. Well, you can find Airspace Link at, uh, at our web address, http airspacelink.com. And uh, we provide links and tools also to our registry, air registry product, which I mentioned earlier. So if you have a, a need or a desire to add your voice, we'd love to have that. And we use, again, we use that as a way to democratize this with local communities. So, um, visit us on the web and and, uh, follow us on all our other social media channels. You'll just find us by searching for Airspace Link. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Alrighty. Thank you. Take care. And that's the end of another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and I'd really like to thank you for tuning in again this week. It's much appreciated. I'd also like to take the time to remind you that if you would like to reach out to me for whatever reason, you'll find a few useful links in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. See you next week. Bye.